Welcome, welcome, welcome to the show, Dear Centrics with UI, where I have conversations with individuals that pass the following criteria, such as, which is just basically three things. One, that they have traveled a fair bit. Two, they have created a money-making venture. And three, they are willing to share with you, the audience, a destabilizing setback they had in the past, and most importantly, how did they rebound from it? But I have an important uh, announcement to make today. Um, as you know, each of our episodes for the last uh, nine weeks have been sponsored by a weekly newsletter that I created titled Three Nuggets Wednesday. But last week, I decided to change the name of the newsletter to Three Nuggets Weekly because I hadn't been delivering by you receiving the newsletter on Wednesday, as I had promised. And for the past uh, three weeks, this has been the case, and it didn't sit well with me because I, my word is my bond, and if I say you will receive something on Wednesday, you should receive it on Wednesday. So with this change now, I promise that you receive the newsletter every week, and instead of putting a day to it, I decided to just give you the promise that you will do receive the weekly newsletter every week. So the new name for the newsletter is now Three Nuggets Weekly. It's still 3NW, just to play on different names. With that, enjoy the show. So who do we have on today's uh, episode? Uh, I'm having a conversation with Caleb Okereke. And who is Caleb? Caleb is a Nigerian journalist and the co-founder and managing editor at Minority Africa, a Google and NED-funded digital publication covering minority rights from across Africa. As an independent journalist, he's reported from East and Western Africa for CNN, BBC, Al Jazeera, The Guardian, NPR, Vice News, and the AFP. He has also worked as a correspondent for ID News and a content curator with Mozilla. Currently, he's completing a master's in communication with an emphasis on critical and cultural studies, stroke digital media at the University of Utah. Enjoy my conversation with Caleb. So good afternoon. It's uh, Friday here in Calgary and uh... I'm about to have a conversation with someone in Utah. I've never spoken to anyone in Utah in my life, actually. The land of the Mormons. One of the most conservative states, in my opinion, in, in the whole of the United States, which is the land of freedom. But um, I have um, Caleb with me, who is going to be having a conversation with us. And Caleb has a very interesting background, which I want to learn of. Uh, full disclosure, Caleb is also Nigerian, which is very interesting. I, I, I never thought I would even have Nigerians on the show just because of the way we are as a people. But I guess we're really we're really trailblazers in different things. So, Caleb, how are you doing, sir? I'm very well, thank you. How are you, UI? I am fantastic. How is uh, how is Utah? Uh, you've you've been in Utah now for close to three weeks. How how would you describe Utah to someone that's never been there? Yeah, I think it's a very I would describe Salt Lake City because that's the only place I've been in Utah. But I'm not. Oh, okay, <laughs> okay, Salt Salt Lake City. City yes, yeah. Yeah, it's a generally like 
okay town honestly I, I think it's great for school because you have very limited distractions you know, so I, I, that's kind of like what I say as my factor that I kind of like about it like I'm, I'm able to focus more because I'm doing a master's degree so it helps that I have very few social options whereas like in Kampala where I was previously I'll be out every other day even like during the school week in Utah I'm not swimming in options and like yeah, the bars are harder to find. Well, they're there, but they don't harder to find. They're actually there. People think you, you can't buy alcohol in Utah, but that's not true, by the way. That's you can't buy alcohol in Utah? People think that you cannot. <laughs> but oh, it's not, okay, okay, but okay, it's okay, okay, okay. You can buy alcohol anytime, any day, at any moment. There are bars all around. They're not the best bars, but they exist. They're like, yeah. So I I think it's a great school place for a university. And it's I hear it gets very cold subsequently, but for now I love the weather so far. Mm. So it, it, the perception that I have of Utah, which is Salt Lake City, Salt Lake City let's say Salt Lake City because you've not been to other parts of Utah. Mm-hmm. So the, the perception I have of Utah in this context, Salt Lake City being a conservative place, is that assumption correct? Honestly, no. Um, and I, I can say that Utah is very conservative, but like Salt Lake City is not conservative at all. From what I've seen, anyway, of course, there are the areas, there are certain areas in which there are certain instances in, like, like in which it might be. Because it's a university town, um, it's actually, according to statistics, I think it's like evenly split between Democrats and like Republicans. So there's like a lot of liberals here as well. It's not, oh. but the, the rest of Utah, I think actually there are more liberals, in, actually, there are more liberals in Utah, in Salt Lake City, than the rest of Utah. So it's kind of like the percentage is higher here for liberals than conservatives. Um, it's Simply one of the gayest cities in America. I don't know how true it is, but you see a pride flag every block or every two blocks, you know. So it's kind of it's a lie. I'm a lie. It's like it's it's essentially normal. Um, what I know is is lacking is like in terms of diversity, that there's a lot of there's not as many black people, you know, it's like few and far in between. Um, but they are there. So you'd see, but there are Indians, there are a lot of Asians. Um yeah, so it's it's kind of it's it's not as restrictive as it, the rest of Utah definitely is because I, I mean I, I don't know if you saw the incident at BYU the university in I don't know where it is Provo or somewhere um Bring, over the Brigham 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 Young University yeah yeah with the with the Duke player who was called a racial slow where they were playing just this past weekend over the no I didn't hear about it yeah so there was like a Duke game for like the women's basketball team and then there was a player who kept calling this this group or this black player uh, a racial slow throughout the game and they didn't get removed they no one no one threw them out things like that. just it was just madness so they came and tweeted about it subsequently so like those things can will definitely happen and of course salt lake is not immune to them of course i'm just saying they are much more likely to happen outside of salt lake i guess from what i've seen in three mm-hmm. which is a very small but also from what i researched before i came here because i did a lot of research <laughs> Yeah, yeah, interesting. So I want to start the conversation with a video I saw on Instagram that I was mm-hmm. like, interesting. And I don't know if you know the video I'm about to talk about. Mm, maybe. I only have two okay. videos on Instagram, so. Oh, it's a video of you showing us your journey coming to the United States and reconnecting, ah, yes. with, your, reconnecting with your mom after six years. Mm-hmm. Why six years? Why was it that long that you guys have not seen one another? Yeah, so my like my mom moved to the US, I think, in 2016, and then she just never came back since then, right? So she's been here with like her family and all of that. Her brothers, my cousins, they, they've all been here for, for those have been with me here for longer, right? Your brothers? No, my her, my mom's brothers. Okay, so your uncles. My uncles, yes. And then my cousins, who are, I guess my uncle's children. Um, so they've been here, they've been in DC, 
Maryland, and then some of them are in Houston as well. Um, yeah, so I, I've just never, I'd, and you know, it was so funny because even when I was thinking about, you know, like, did I want to, like, because I've been like in Uganda, you know, so when I was thinking about like where to go to school, the US was definitely like not even like on my top options because you know, I just, I, I, I didn't, and I told her, so like, it, it didn't feel like 60s because we would talk all the time. So it didn't feel like I had to see 90s, but it's actually 60s when you think about it, like in practice, right? But she just, she just never, never been back to Nigeria. So it was contingent on either us going to see her, you know, or on her going back after a while. Because she was trying to get settled, yeah. Hmm. So, so when your mom moved to the, the States in 2016, yes. I presume dad and mom are no longer together? That's a great question, which, which I get asked to them. So they are definitely together. Um, I honestly don't, you know, it's kind of like a, when I think about it now as an older person, you know, but I, like, I think it like it brings to the limelight like a much more complex conversation about like migration right, and, and why people do it and like the risks they would take you know, to sort of carve a better life for themselves, right? But they are still together, you know. Um, so like the, the like my dad is now trying to move to the US. That's kind of like where where they are like at, like at the moment. So they've they've not they've not been said not not to my knowledge. They probably have an understanding that I probably don't know about, but not anything in terms of separation to my knowledge. No. So so they are still together, totally. So these six years that your mom has not gone back to Nigeria, I presume your father has come to visit her in in the states. No. They haven't seen each other in six years. So I think I'm the first person to see my mother in six years in the entirety of my family. That's what I'm saying. And I think that, I think when people talk about like migration, like in the sense of it's, because my mom was a lecturer in Nigeria. So she was working in, she used to work in the University of Lagos for a little bit. She went, studied there, worked there for a little bit, and then also worked in a college of education that I was just mentioned. But yeah, but she left like a, a, a I guess like a regular lecturer job, right? right? To move to the US to basically start from ground zero because she thought it was a much, better opportunity for her and her family which i think it was um in in like hindsight you know but yeah and i think just before actually just before I, I, we got on the corner i was talking to her she was telling me about um how like oh she would never have known it would have turned out this way like just because my my siblings are, are moving as well this week next week so they're moving to the uk from nigeria next week um so they, they, she was kind of telling me how they're feeling like a bit anxious about moving and how she was telling them like oh like you never know what will happen when you move right so it's kind of just kind of take the step and don't be anxious. So yeah, so I was just talking to her about a similar thing. But my dad will probably come next year, you know, and I guess now for good. But it was kind of a, I didn't think, you know, like when, even I didn't want to leave Nigeria, honestly. I mean, I, I've, not, I've not really been in Nigeria in the last few years, but like I, didn't want, like I didn't see myself leaving like how I think I've left now, because I don't think I'm going back. Even I will go to Africa, but definitely not Nigeria. I, I just, I think it's just become so like, like unsafe that it, it, it like it essentially, and I can talk more like about that, but I think it, it, I lost a friend in 2019 who I think shouldn't have died. And I think that was kind of when it just all went to boot because I, I lost somebody who I had, I, had, I was just in Lagos from Uganda and then I had a, yeah, so she, so she was in my house. Like we've been friends for maybe 15 years. Like our families, we, we grew up together. She used to, um, when the same church, I started to go to this popular Nigerian church. Can I say names of things on your podcast? <laughs> you can you can say anything, man. This is it's it's why it's called a podcast. Great. So I was yeah. going to um, the Redeemed Christian Church of God, which is like Arusicg, yeah, right. Which I yeah. guess everybody knows. So, so but by, by the way, press pause. If you're listening to this and you're not Nigerian, Arusicg is like McDonald's. I swear to God, if you threw <laughs> if you if you threw a stone from wherever you stand, 
there is an RCCG church <laughs> in that vicinity of where that stone has landed. So That's just, ju- just, just to give you context, but Caleb, please continue. 100%. So yes, I was going to one of the many stone throw branches, which was just like on my street in, in Lagos where I grew up. And the pastor was the that of my friend who, who I'm talking about now. You know? And so we had a, we formed a relationship. That's where I grew up. I've always known them. I've probably known them for like all my life. So all 24 years of my life, I've, I've known them since I've been formed. But we became friends maybe like, at like when I was like, probably like nine-ish. And I started going to became more active in their life. Um, yeah, so this is somebody I've known for 15 plus years, right? And so I, I, I when I left Nigeria, of course, I, start, I stopped going to church. I even stopped away before then for many other reasons that I won't talk about. But yeah, I was, I was just there of the entire system, right? But I, I stopped and then I, when I came back, she had moved kind of like, she had moved to Lekki now from the mainland. When, when you came back in 2019? When I came back in 2019. So in 2019, okay. I was in school in Uganda for those who don't know me because I'm assuming everybody does. So I, I left Nigeria 2018, June to move to okay. Uganda for a bachelor's in journalism and communications. And I'll talk about that a bit later, how I got there. But I moved to Uganda. I was in Uganda. I, yeah, so I'd been there for like a year plus, right? So, and she was also very, because like, I, I kind of, my my life started out like I was I was meant to study medicine, you know, the normal Af- African parent thing. And I think even to today, my parents still don't believe I'm a journalist, but they're kind of getting more accustomed to the fact now. Um, like my brother studied engineering, not by his own choice, I wouldn't say. My sister studied pharmacy, not by her own choice. They were all just like roped into like, and I was kind of like the one who was able to say, oh, I, I don't want to do this. And I just don't, because I was already being roped into like a whole, medical school plan i had done that i'd been wrote like a diploma program to do it was just complex but i left that and then i was at home for like two years and i was just writing i refused to like write down but i was like i'm not doing jam i'm just gonna write so at this time i was talking to because when, when i was enrolled in the diploma program this my this my friend who passed away was in the namdeziku university and she was a student there so she was one who actually said oh you should come here and do this program but then while I was there, she told me, okay, like, I don't, like, I don't think you're, because I would, like, have, like, books and read, read all these books, like, novels, where else I was meant to be reading textbooks, right? So she was like, I don't think you're meant to be a doctor. Like, I know you, and I just don't think you're meant to be. So she was, from day one, she was actually one person who, even against my own family, she was one person who actually, like, said, like, oh, like, I think you should be a journalist or a reporter, like, or a writer, like, I don't think this doctor needs to be. And she actually told me, and then one day she made a very funny prayer. She was like, if this doesn't work out, or if, if you're not meant to be a doctor, then you just not get in. I was, I was like, that's a very wicked thing. So she's like, no, it's actually a nice prayer. So she, and it, that was actually how it worked. And I can talk about that subsequently, but I can tell you like the journey from like secondary school to, anyway, so I was in Nigeria, 2019. I wasn't meant to travel. I decided to travel last minute. I guess that was kind of like God's way of saying, oh, God was supposed to say goodbye. So it was like, it was the, I traveled August, 2019 or July, 2019. And I would go to Nigeria every year. So 2018, I'd still gone, but 2019, I was like, oh, let me just wait out here a bit. But I still went, I, I went, she came to my house then because we had moved to Lekia, so we kind of near each other. So she came to my house and then she essentially just moved in for the period I was there, right? Because her house was nearby, but my house was near. So she was working in a school, like she was working as a teacher and I think a teacher and a librarian, one of them, I can't remember which of the two, a teacher I know, but I think she, because she studied library science or something. So I think she studied as a librarian and then she studied as a teacher. I think that was what happened. So then she would tell me, oh, like I've told my students like about you, how, you know, like I told them this, my, like my brother is, because she would call me her brother, how, how, how my brother is coming back and how he's doing journalism and he's doing so well in his journalism career and like things like that. And she was just always so happy for me. And then, because like, we're, we're family friends, so she was just, she was in my house, right? They had, we had like, like empty rooms, she stayed with me. And I think we stayed together for probably like maybe like a month. 
and then I had to travel to go see my grandparents. Now, when, when I was in Nigeria, I would, uh, I would go see my grandfather and, and grandmother. Um, but this time, I, I bought a ticket to travel to see my grandfather. I think maybe like I was meant to go on the 30th of August. I can't forget those dates because they're very ingrained. So I was meant to go 30th of August. That was the day of my flight. And then 29th of August, I think, then my grandmother died. Right. So oh, I, bought, wow. I bought the ticket. Yeah, it was just a crazy time. So my, so my grandmother died. And then I was like, oh, shoot. It was just so weird, now that I think about it. But so she died, I was like, oh, should I still go? Um, and it was crazy because they hadn't told my grandfather that she had died yet. So I was feeling a bit confused about how, because they, they, they were both- they, they were not living together? They were. They were together in the same house, but they told him she, I think she died in the hospital. So they told him she was just sick and she would she still come back. So like okay. by the, she had died like the day before, but they was meant to go. They hadn't told him yet because they were not sure how he would take the news. Um. I don't know how they they just have like a way they do it, right? Because they eventually did tell him, but they told him like after maybe like a year or eight months. A year. Yeah, it took a while. If I'm if I'm not mistaken, it took a while. Unless I'm being crazy, but I think it took because she died. But she died. Um, maybe perhaps I'm confusing it, but it took a while. Perhaps like three months, maybe another year. Because yeah, I think he, but I think he knew because he told them he knew when, when they told him. Because I kept saying, "Oh, she's in the hospital. She's getting better." So they they played the hospital card for a while, but it was. Um, a number of months it wasn't weeks it wasn't it was a number of months um yeah and then she so i still went and i remember talking to my friend i was like oh my she was like oh yeah grandma is that sorry well the day before i traveled she had invited me to come to her school they had like an open day and she was like i, like, I want to show you my you my students so they can meet you because i've talked about you so much and told actually she told me yes that when she was interviewing for the job she told them the story of how she had told me years before because they were kind of asking her like why do you have a something along the lines of like why do you know how to work with students and she's like oh by the way i have a brother she called me like a cousin right who i was who was so confused about studying medicine and i told him don't study medicine study journalism and now he's doing so well so she kind of shared that story should get the job so she was like i actually want to show you to the principal and like basically everybody and, and told them like but i couldn't go that day which is something that i still feel sad about i couldn't go because I think she had left my house a few days before then because my sister had come back and she was in my sister's bedroom. So she had left my house a few days, maybe two days before then. And I had somebody who was visiting me. Yes. So I, I had a friend who was seeing me for, because I was trying to see everybody. You know, like I'm, I, like I'm now around, people are coming to see me. I'm going to see people. And this person, I asked him, I was like, oh, let's go to the school. He's like, no, I'm just tired. I've had a long journey. You, you can go there on like a second time or some other time. And I mean, then it, it didn't sound like the worst thing in the world, right? Because you didn't know someone was going to die, right? The school is just near my house. I could always go there. They're still in session. I, I like I didn't want to leave my visitor and then go there or drag him somewhere he didn't want to go. So it made sense that they'd say I would just go some other time. But then I didn't. So I, I traveled, I think the next two days. So my grandfather came back to Lagos after like maybe a few, maybe like seven days. And then I don't know, like I just kept feeling like throughout the week, like, oh, like I should talk to her. I think the last thing I did how I was respond to a WhatsApp story. But I didn't call her. I was like, I'll call her over the weekend, you know, because I know she's going to work. It's okay. I'll talk to her over the weekend. And then I think, like, on the 9th of September, I was, I was on the phone with a friend, and then I saw, because I'm friends with many people that she knows, her cousins, they're all my friends. So I saw her cousin posting on WhatsApp, like, oh, this is not the plan. I was like, I was even consoling him. That's the funniest part. So I was like, I'm so sorry for your loss. Yeah, because I didn't know what was happening. Right. I'm like, I'm so sorry for your loss. He's like, there's a kind of, there's a particular line of something he said that made me realize oh shit he's like Caleb I can't believe it then he's like then I was like yeah I'm, I'm so sorry it's, it can sometimes be like that he's like have you heard 
because I think he realized that I, I didn't know what I was saying because I was too calm for somebody who would have heard, I guess, because I was actually consoling him, essentially. I was like, what do you mean by her? He's like, hmm. I remember he said, hmm. and then he didn't tell me immediately. And so this time I've, I've lost it, right? So, you know, but I, I, I called my brother and I was like, I think something has happened because like my brother was in the house and so I, I went to the gym, I was like, I, I think something has happened because I, I realized that as soon as he told me, have you heard? And then I said, hmm, there was something that was not right somewhere. I just kind of knew. Mm-hmm. Um, and for me, I was just thinking about like, I think because they were, they, they were, I don't even have any, there are five of them, four sisters and like one brother. So I just, what I immediately did was to go and check like their WhatsApp last scenes. That was what we immediately did and see who was last online. And they all seemed to be last online reasonably recently or they, I think I remember that, but I think there was no alarming, there was no sign of who it could have been. I was just hoping like, maybe it's a family member that I know, maybe not them. Maybe somebody else, and then it's like, oh, like, Ruth's dead. I was like, what do you mean she's dead? I was, it was honestly the most confusing time of my life. And I think it was when I decided to actually, not like, her name was, her name was Ruchi. Her name was Ruth. Ruth, Ruth. Was, okay, Ruth, okay. I used to call her like Ruthie. You know, like, so it was like, I think he said Ruthie's dead. I was like, well, what do you mean she's dead? I was, it was honestly, I have never been more confused because I, I mean, I've lost people like after that, but that was the first time I lost somebody who was extremely like close to me and who I had just, you know, seen. And it, probably even still affects me definitely does you know i don't think i've something i can ever get over and it's something that i even want to get over it's not because it, it, it just doesn't, doesn't make sense um but I, I talk about it like in connection to nigeria because i think it was then i realized that oh shit we're actually in trouble in this country um and i didn't realize it in that moment right it's something i came to think about so and i'm like oh i think I, I, like i don't think i want to be in a country that would do this because what, what happened was she was so i think i spoke to her last on thursday that's when I responded to her WhatsApp story. And then on Saturday, she was going to, to work, right? So Hold a second. So that means you spoke to her on, I remember you saying, oh, you bought your ticket to go visit your grandfather August 30th, which was a Friday. Might have been, I don't know. Okay. So because mm-hmm. I remember you saying August 30th, you were going to, you bought your ticket to see your, mm-hmm. your grandfather and then your grandmother passed on August 29th. Mm-hmm. I believe so. And so the week yeah. after, because so I, I stayed for like a week or like a few, or maybe like five, I can't remember how long I stayed, but it wasn't so long. But I know between August 30th and then the, the what's it called? I'm trying to remember the actual date. Actually, no, it was the 7th of September, not the 9th. So it was the 7th of September. You see, now I, I, I don't even know the days anymore, which is crazy. Mm-hmm. But I think it was the 9th. Um, I'll just check now and confirm because I, I, there's no way I, I can forget. But anyway, so I, I I spoke to her. I know it was a last day I spoke to her it was a Thursday, and I know she did on a Saturday because we had gone out that Saturday. My siblings and I had gone to the market, and then later on we we're thinking about how it was seventh of September, twenty nineteen, not ninth. Okay, it's in five days. But we're to be two years in five days, three years in five days, three years, which is just crazy because how can it be three years? Um, so anyway. So she had come out. So when I came to Nigeria, then I had gone to see her in her house. She started to take me like, oh, like I have a new house. Because she had moved out of, of her parents' house probably like a year before that. Maybe and I'd never been to the house because I was I was in Uganda. She was like, I have a new house. So like all of this. And so she went to her house. And then you kind of, I don't know if you know like how so like if you drive like in like Lekki, like Ajayu, like like you know how the roads are like there's always like because I think like in the beginning of Lekki has like bridges and stuff but like as you go into Aja, there are no more bridges but of course the road is not as wide as phase one anymore right it's it's a bit mm-hmm. narrower. so when i'd gone to a house we were crossing the road and then she was telling me oh like i don't like standing so you know how you cross lane one then you stand in the middle then you cross lane two 
right? Just that you know, like, I don't like standing in, this, in the middle of this lane. That's kind of what, what she was saying. And she's like, oh, I just feel like it's not safe to stand here. That was when I went to her house, probably like a month before then, when I had just come back. Mm-hmm. So on XYZ day, on this seven, so I had spoken to her on, on the Thursday, which should have been the 4th of September or the 5th. Yeah, 5th of September. I responded to her WhatsApp story. She posted like a man dancing. So I, I was laughing at it. And then on Saturday, I didn't hear anything. I didn't know. But what happened was she was, she was going to work on Saturday morning. She wasn't even meant to go to work. It's a weekend. But she had, I think, like scripts to mark or something. Or like, I don't know what she was going to do, apparently. So she was on, on the phone with her sister walking to the bus stop. She gets to the bus stop. She tells her sister, I'll call you later. Right? Just crazy. And then she crosses the road. Oh, then no. In that place, she says she doesn't like standing up. Oh, no. Yeah. And then while she was standing there, there was some 18-year-old driver who had taken, I don't know whose car he took. You know, it was some 18-year-old guy who took his uncle's car or some kind of random story. He just drove, went, went into a pothole, um, sort of lost control, and then threw her up. So he went to meet her. She, she wasn't crossing. He went to meet her where she was standing, threw her up. So she, she, she was where she was supposed to stand as a pedestrian. Yes, and then crossed the next part of the road. She had crossed the first part, right? She crossed the road all, all the time. So she was standing in the middle of the road. But you know, because there, one, there, there's, there's no separation between it and the road. So it's very easy for you to be hit. I think in like in, norm, in normal places, and I think even like in, in like there's like something dividing. And that, that was what she was telling me before. So she was like, there's nothing between this and the road. It's just sand on in the middle of the road. That's I, 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 I know what you're talking about because my, my parents' home is in Ikota. Exactly. And it, Ikota is before Aja. Yes. So what, what you're talking about is, and for the audience as well, is Lekki is a part in is a place in Lagos. It's actually not a place, it's actually a huge place in Lagos. But mm-hmm. everybody just everybody just feels when you come off Ten Menland Bridge, that is sorry, when you come off Ten, Ten, Ten Menland Bridge and you pass Victoria Island, mm-hmm. everything from Sheraton, uh Sheraton Blue from the first toll gates mm-hmm. is now Lekki. So, so when you are now, when you're now talking about that median, that median you're talking about is, yes. which is back to the infrastructure issues in Nigeria, they, that area was once a beach. Yes. With, 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 with fine sand. Yes, exactly. And, and when they were building this highway, instead of putting a proper median as it is done wherever else in the world, our fellow Nigerian construction and civil engineers probably that was part of the budget they just said ah the sand will be the divider yeah so, so she was on that sand yeah. and because it's just the sand when you swim off the road you're going straight to the person on, on the sand so this, this person went into the pothole and just went and threw her up where she was and then oh no oh no oh no and it was an suv right i think it was like a sienna or something which i guess is an suv yeah yeah so the mid-sized vehicle yeah so they, yeah, but all this whole time she's, she's, she's still alive, apparently. So like, oh. we'll say the story say she struggled to stay alive. And that's just so sad. So she was still alive. She, so then they started ferrying her from place to place. And Nigeria, I don't, I just really hate the country, honestly, now. So she was kind of ferried around. And then the first one says, oh, we can't treat her. The next one says, we need a police report. Um, and then they, they then they're like we don't have a police report. They're like we can't treat her. And then when they took her to the last hospital, she had she was just pronounced dead when she arrived because they said she had died. But it was a long ride because they went for a long time. They they're they trying to get to like a government hospital because every like all the private ones are saying police report, police report, whatever. So it was a long. Re- how do you get a police report when someone has been hit right away? It's a great question. 
and that's kind of like it's it's not only how it happened to like 2019 20 that year was so crazy for that for that particular issue so i i know somebody else whose sister was in uyo actually and then same thing she was hitting her she was hit by a, she was hitting a tricycle police report same 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 story so actually shortly after i did a campaign around like police report, which I, I guess i can talk about like at some point but i like teamed up with like because i was stressed i was like it doesn't make any sense because when i posted on that people were like oh my god it doesn't make like there was no anyway that, that was what happened she yeah and i, I think what was so sad was i didn't even know this happened like at 10 a.m in the morning right and i had no idea and it's so that like we all live along that same road you know so now every time i pass i'm always thinking like there's many things that happen along this road that you just don't know because i think things clear up very fast when they happen so like when an accident happens in the next hour or two everything is back to normal so if you don't pass there in that time you never know anything happened right and so yeah they called her sister she went anyway it was just i had to go from like to plan i didn't plan a funeral before i had to i've never even attended a funeral i attended funerals but not like actually i don't know like my uncle's funerals but i was like a baby then my mother just took me along but i never not, not, nothing too close no it was just my, i mean they're close to my mother but i essentially they were close to me but i didn't know them because i was still i was still a child um yeah so it, it was the most I couldn't even go for like the, they went to the mortuary to see, I just could not see, I, I just, yeah. Cause they were like, oh, we should go see her. Should I'm like, I'm not sure. I would not have been able to take it. So I didn't see her again until after I saw her there. And the last time I saw her was when she came to my house to pick something, just maybe a few days before I traveled to pick, I'm not sure she left there. So she was, she had picked something. And when she was telling me, okay, babe, like I saw an, an so it all seemed very like mysterious in, in, in hindsight, right? She was telling me, oh, like I saw an accident, like on my way here, the woman's legs were so damaged. And I think because I've known her for long, I've, I've seen her, like we've talked about like accidents and like sad things. Like, but, that, but that day she felt so, it was like she was connecting to the story more than normal, right? So I, I thought it was a bit uncanny. Subsequently, I was like, this seemed a bit off, you know, and how, just even like how she said I should come back. Because she was like, oh, you must, you must come, you must come. I, I just felt like it was, it seemed a bit accidental, but in hindsight, it might not have been, you know. And then when I checked, because I like I went to a house, I had to, like the cop she had used to drink, I don't know, conflicts were still there. It was just crazy. I'd never done, because I was nearer to had the house than the family. So they told me, go and pack some things, go and check for like some things, go to speak to. It was the most scary time of my life, you know. Um, yeah, and then I I had, I think I, I found her Bible. I took a few, they made me think of some of her things that I wanted to keep. So I took her, I kept a notepad and some other things. And there was some things she had, she wanted to give me. I was like, I'll just take these ones. She told me, I'll give you when you're going back. So I just took them and then I, I, I took her Bible, her sister took her back. But then she told me that, like in the Bible, she had written something about a dream she had had about the 7th of September, 2019. Not 2019, the 7th of September. It was, it was, it was crazy, right? Like so many years ago, she was like, oh, like I, I had a dream and in this dream, God told me to, I was struggling and then God told me to bow down or kneel down and like sing his praise his name. And like, yeah, but that, that was in her Bible. So when I saw it, I was like, oh, maybe this was, I, I wouldn't say it was, I don't think anything was ordained any tragedy, but like, I think, like in hindsight, you start to see like the connecting mm. patterns, and I've seen it even, yeah, even it was just the craziest day of my life, craziest time. But yeah, that's just just to say that's kind of like when I started thinking about like, oh, this country is not going to work properly, and I don't want to be caught in this mess anymore. Yeah. Wow. Okay, so we are going to take our first break, and I'm going to come back with Caleb, and we're going to stay in this uh, story for a bit because there's a lot to unpack there, which is basically what has motivated Caleb to probably do the things that he's doing with his life right now. So Caleb, we'll be back with you shortly. 
Love it. See you soon. All right. Hope you've enjoyed the first session of my conversation with um, Kellen. If you're a new listener, I wanted to make you aware of the first ever episode of the show where I had a conversation with an individual by the name of Akim Ames. Akim uh, won a bronze medal with uh, Canada during the 2016 Olympics. And um, unfortunately, he experienced homeless, homelessness when he was a teenager. And he tells us how that happened and how he was able to rebound from that and also share with us uh, what he's currently doing in his life right now now that he's retired from athletics um i would implore you to go listen to that episode and which is the genesis of the show and i hope you enjoy it let's get back to the second part of my conversation with Kelly. So I'm back with Caleb and he shared uh, a story that, of course, uh, first of all, Caleb, man, I set my condolence on the passing of your friend Ruthie. Um, she, it's, it's kind of interesting that she was the one person that believed in you to follow your heart, your passion, which is uh, to become a journalist. And unfortunately, her, her demise and the way everything happened is what has turned you turned your back against your country of birth. Now, let, let, so what exactly pisses you off about Nigeria? Is it the fact of the healthcare system or what else aside from that has turned you off from the country? Uh, thank you. And I haven't essentially turned my back on the country. That's, that sounds a bit like a, you know, like a prodigal son going away from home. But no, I haven't turned my back on the country. I, I just don't think it's... I I not I'm not just how but like I I feel it's actively trying to you know kill citizens and like people who are there you know and even from far away it still actively tries to harm people and that's just a, and I guess it can be changed but but I I think there's I just it just stresses me to think about being a being a part of it you know and just to ask is, is essentially what it's essentially everything to be honest um, there are things that of course I of course love about Nigeria but Loving it means that I'm honest. I really do love Nigeria, right? That's why I'm honest enough to know that things are just not working how they're meant to work, right? And that's and I think everybody knows that I, whenever I'm in Nigeria, I'm just always so anxious in a way that I'm not elsewhere, you know? And it's not the same when I'm in Uganda or maybe Kenya or anywhere else. I'm just ex- extremely so anxious when I'm in that, Nigeria. That is so funny you say that because, man, I can relate with you, man. I can tot every time I leave, every time I leave the confines of my father's compound and the gate opens, madness becomes. Yes. And that's not normal, right? That's not normal for a country, more so your home. Like I'm meant to be more at home. And it hasn't always been that way, right? I think, yeah, like if it's not the when I was home now, I had to always be worried about like, oh, would the police, you know, check my phone or check my computer? Because they do it all. Like there was a day I, I, I was in the car with my brother and he dropped me off somewhere, just maybe like four weeks ago before I traveled. And then he dropped me, thank God, because shortly after the police stopped him and then they went through his phone, his computer. He was my sister. It was me, him, and my sister. They, they stopped them, told them, oh, why, why, why do you have them? And eventually they told them, girl, you, you can go, right? But every single day you, you go on Twitter, it's, it's a different case. Somebody else is being asked for 500K or 300K or... And those are very small things, but they really do affect me. Like, I, I, like I don't want to, to be on the road on this. I don't get it because it would really... 
It has also happened to me before. That's why I did Rahish, because it happened to me 2017 a lot. The police stopped me a lot, but then they were lost less violent than now. So then they would only ask you for the comment you were like, may I know you? Which is a very stupid question, which is still a stupid question to now. But, you know, so things like that. And just anything goes, that's kind of like what I hate the most, right? There's simply no law. You can do anything that you want to do whenever you want to do it. And that spews into every single thing. I, I think when I, when I got to the US, someone told me, okay, like, I feel like you're now in the country that you finally belong. I'm like, maybe, you know, but it's, and it's just because of like, they know that I, I really, the madness really gets to me. Like I, I can get, and I always thought like, I, I told my kidney, I'm like, oh, like I actually do really enjoy staying in Nairobi. You, you, you told what? You told who? Like I told my Kenyan friends that I enjoy staying in Nairobi because I feel like it's a much more orderly city. It's not perfect. It has many flaws, right? The police can be brutal. Every city has its own flaws, even even cities in the US or Canada or elsewhere, right? But I think there's some basic things that shouldn't be happening that happen in Nigeria that still just stress me out, right? So I'm tired of it for those reasons. Just the entire sense of insecurity. You don't know what's going to happen next. They're going to kidnap you or you can't travel by road. Flights are expensive. The things that have happened in Nigeria will actually shut a country down elsewhere, right? We have had, like the train attack, for instance, when that doctor was tweeting. I don't know if you remember the the the, yeah, the one. Yeah, when yeah, the doctor yeah. was me and people were bullying her. Like, it, that's not a country. That's And, and the fun thing is people are still in custody till now. They're still victims of the train attack who are still being held by, by their abductors or whatever. And the country is just going on as, as, as normal, right? Yeah. So it doesn't make, it doesn't, it Every country is imperfect, but there's some. It's like a relationship, you know. There are some things that you can do that I. There's some things that you call imperfections, and the things that are outright like abuse. And I think with Nigeria, we are constantly being abused, and it's. It should be fine for us to say we don't want to be part of that anymore. It's kind of like my hmm. logic. So, so Ruthie is the one that pushed you to become a journalist, and Ruthie is not around to see how you are taking your journalistic career. Is you, you've created an organization called Minority Africa. Um, would you say Ruthie is kind of the muse behind Minority Africa and the issues that you tackle with that organization, through that organization? Um, I guess yes and no. So I, I, I would say that, of course, because I don't think, oh, wait. Hmm. I'm trying to think if, yeah, so she was around when I talked about Minority Africa the first time, but I'm trying to remember. Oh, okay, hold on. You, you shared the concept of Minority Africa before yes. Ruthie passed and away. And I had actually forgotten until you mentioned it now, but yes, I did. Because I started okay. Minority Africa in November 2019, which is a few months after she passed. Literally two months after she passed. Yes, but I had the, I started the concept note first. I made the first concept note in May 2019. And I remember I was in, our, in my kitchen in Lagos because I had applied for a grant, my very first grant that I got, which was $2,500 from the Social Journalism Network. And I had... Social, so, so, social Journalism Network. Solutions Journalism Network. Okay, okay, Solutions Journalism. Okay, okay. It's a US organization. But I had qualified for like the... It was the original fellowship program anyway. They called the LEAD Fellowship. So my project was Minority Africa. But when, when she died, I was just... Yeah, I had just gotten the first yes. Like not yes, but we're giving you the grant, but yes, we're willing... Because uh, we had a, some stages of it. We had to, we had to, we had to, we had to apply them. We had to do a test and we had to be interviewed. So I think I was interviewed in September, but the test was like in August. So she knew about it before she died. And I thought, and she was like, oh, like, I think you, you'll get it. It would be nice. Well, well done. Like we talk about it quite a bit and talk about... So she told me about the plans she had for her brother, things that I still kind of hold dear even to now. Because those that month was kind of the last time we spent together. And for some reason, she was just staying in my house. She didn't have to, you know, but she just felt like... Because at first she would come and then she would go back. 
at some point she'll come from work and come and say hi. She was constantly coming to see me, you know. Um, because she felt like her friend was around because I had, I had not been around for like maybe a year plus, you know. Um, or was it or close to a year? Yeah, and I think that that was just it, it was so it was just so special, you know. Um, yeah, it, it was just so so. Yeah, so I I would I wouldn't say she was inspiration behind me, that was the, but she was definitely part of the reason why I, I became a journalist. Um, and she constantly like when she saw that I was, she was so happy that I was studying journalism, she was so happy that I went to Uganda, she was happy that I was doing because she had seen some, some of the stories I had done. She was very happy about them. She was like, okay, but I thought that oh, like I like I, after my my undergraduate, like I want to get a scholarship for a master. She was like, well, that, that's a great idea. I remember talking to her about getting a scholarship for herself or so, and she was like, oh. You know, like I, 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 like I don't even know what I would, I would do, like for like a master's program. But we talked about it, and honestly, if she was still alive, we definitely would have done it by now. You know, um, because mm. she was, yeah, she just seemed very a bit. Also, Nigeria was not as bad as it was then. Now it has gotten worse over the, <laughs> the last few years. Um, yeah, so she, she essentially pushed me into journalism. I would say, um, I've, I have always known that I wanted to be a writer, but she, she made me realize that I, I could do it every single day of my life. Whereas everybody else was saying, oh, you, you, you can be a doctor and write on the side. So-and-so wrote a book on the side, doctor, so-and-so I know. They just talk a lot of nonsense things. But they, and they always have a reference for every single thing they want. So she was one person who told me, oh, you can just do it. Don't worry about... I know, I think now that it's, it's a very... Some people will contend with you and say like, it's a very simplistic view of life when someone says, oh, like, don't worry about money. Because like all the arguments people would tell me is you be a doctor, you make money, which isn't entirely true when you think about it critically but yeah that, but she was she would always say like you don't have to worry about money like it's not you shouldn't be about money you should be about what you like which sounded like it was the worst advice in the world but which is actually true when you, when you think about it like and, and i think it's it's very easy for people who are like over ambitious which i would say like myself or other people who are ambitious to kind of like measure you know think like every other person's version of success is not sort of valid right but if somebody thinks that success to them is just they don't have to be in the New York Times or have to have a company or maybe even start a podcast. They can just want success in terms of they just can feed their family, feed themselves, can wake up every single day and be happy. That's kind of like, and that's what, that should be valid. And I think sometimes the world sort of pushes us to think like only some forms of success are worth celebrating. But I think even like once you're happy, you can't be like where you are, that's success to me. And that was kind of like her perspective on life. And it allowed her to see, because everybody thought like Nigerian journalists are poor and they work, you keep taking brown envelopes. But she saw like beyond that because she was able to see like that that even brown even brown envelopes was too successful. And one thing I remember is she used to work at the Sun newspaper. Yes, she interned at the Sun newspaper when she was doing her one year internship. Sun, so, I've never heard of the Sun newspaper in Nigeria. What's is it? A, is it a daily tabloid or something? Mm-hmm. It's one of our I don't know six major dailies that we have. Are you serious? I thought it was Guardian, This Day, and the other likes. Sun is even older than, than This Day, if I'm not mistaken. Sun is like oh a, my bad. Yeah, oh, so the sun, my, 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 even bigger, maybe Sun Guardian. This punch, day, sun. punch, yeah. yeah this, and then like Abuja has Daily Trust, and like where else? What else is there? Huh. Sun. Okay, all right. No problem. Sorry, please she, continue. So she she was working at the Sun, yes. Yes, and then I wrote an article for the Sun. I think I wrote my first piece in like a Nigerian paper, which was great. Like it wasn't an article; it was like a, it was a trust story. It had this. It, like, was, it was it was your first ever article that was published. Not my first ever published, but in a print paper, yes. Oh, I was writing okay. for online things before that. And it was a story called Blood and Bones, such a weird story that I remember now. But yeah, but I think she was so happy she got it. They got me the print copy and then I kept it. It's probably still in my house till now. I kept it at home. So she's kind of like always been 
just like happy for me to, to see me like thriving like right now. So yeah, so I wouldn't say she was why I started my marriage after, but it was, it wasn't unconnected. Hmm. I, I, I want to ask this last question and then we can segue. Um, what made you and Ruthie such close friends? I listened to you talk about Ruthie. The audience can't see you. I can see you. However, Ruthie sounds almost like your sister. It's like you guys were like, the way you talk about her, it's so intimate. What what made you guys such close friends? Honestly, she was my sister. And I think that's why it hurt so much, right? It, it was like I lost a sister, essentially. And I think some people even thought we were siblings because at some point, some point said, oh, that's my sister, that's my brother. That's what I would just say to people because it just made sense because people couldn't understand why you were so close. That's what she was all, she was all, all, all that at me. So when I became friends with the family, Ruthie was... Same age as my sister. Ruthie was six years older than me, right? Oh wow. Okay. So she she wasn't always my friend. And actually, she was Auntie Ruth for a very long time. I used to call her Auntie. <laughs> it was funny because I would call her. <laughs> so I was I was I was same age with her younger siblings. Mm. So the younger siblings were my friends. I mean, they still are my friends. But like the the friendship started with them first, and then of course we we're in the church together. And then Ruthie was the auntie in the church. That's how I knew her first. Mm-hmm. Um, but somehow we started talking. I think she, she, she could tell that, I, that there were things that I could understand that people my age didn't understand. Maybe I guess that was because I could relate to like I, I would be able to contribute to the conversation she was having. Much in a, she was probably she was like twenty something, and I was like maybe seventeen or sixteen. Like most for most of our, our friendship, and when she passed, I think I was like twenty one or twenty two. I don't know how old I was twenty one, but yeah. But so she was always the older. But I think what made and her because I was close to all of them, but I and her were just particularly close. Was one, the fact that I lived with her for like a year when I went to Oka. So I was with her for a year. So I, I, Wait, I, I, where, where, where is Oka, please? So Oka is in Anambra state, which is... Okay, Ash- Anambra, okay. Mom is from Anambra, so I, I'm half Anambra, half Abia state, which is... Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I went to Oka. I had gone to do my WAIAC exam. You know the WAIAC we do after... Yeah. I, I failed my first WAIAC, so I had to do it again. So that's mm-hmm. the story I was, going to, I was going to tell you, which we can... I did it like you 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 felt you failed your wife the first time and you wanted to go into medicine. I thought people that want to go into medicine are like geniuses. Yeah, so technically I didn't fail because I failed English language, which makes no sense. It was like a mass failure. It wasn't just <laughs> oh, oh this is getting interesting. You failed English <laughs> and now you're a journalist. Wow. <laughs> like I, I passed oh. biology and chemistry and physics and math. I don't know math, you know, but I so I it was it, like it wasn't like they failed half the school in English and they said they failed us because they said we were cheating essentially. So it wasn't just me who failed English, it's kind of like half of everybody. Um, and because my my, my my parents had been so adamant then, I didn't, every other person would do like Wayek, Neko, GC, so you don't have to mm-hmm. do it again if you feel, but I only did Wayek. So my classmates who did GC, and they were fine, they carried on with their lives, but I had to do it again. And the funny thing was, sometimes I was doing it again, my parents still insisted that I should do um, Wayek again. Not, I, I don't think I did Wayek and GC, I just did Wayek again. Mm-hmm. And the second time it was so funny, which is why I said like root sprayer kind of worked. Because the second time I did work, I passed. No, I, I had my physics and chemistry cancelled. And then of, now of course I, I like I passed English. Anyway, it was just obvious that I was I was not going to be I didn't need any more science. My parents refused and they were like, oh, you should do Neko again. So I did Neko again. And then what happened in Neko was someone forgot. So I passed my Neko, but then someone apparently forgot to re- re- register my biology. <laughs> Which makes no sense because everybody who is a knows that a science student combinations of physics, chemistry, biology, math, and English, compulsory five subjects. 
So how somebody forgot to register biology, I don't know, but they forgot to register it. I came for the exam, they're like, you know, you're not really registered for it. Somebody made a mistake in the system, but I passed the NEPO. But all of this is that it was all of these kind of like XYZ, XYZ things that kind of led me to, I wouldn't say it led me to media, but it kind of forced me to start to look at journalism, right? So I started to think about mm. the fact that because my, my parents were essentially, and I could still have gotten into school in Nigeria because you could combine two results if you wanted to, right? Like, because I had English here and I didn't have English here. But I guess it was just kind of God's way of ensuring that I, I would stall long enough to be able to be in a place that I was, I guess, God or the universe, which, which, whichever other two now, because I'm, I'm not sure anymore. But for me, I think God, God's way of kind of ensuring that if I would stall, you should just kind of put me in a place that I would be much more op- open to what the next state of my life was. Because I think, when I got into school in Uganda, I used the, funny enough, the result that I had physics and chemistry canceled. Because even though the subjects were imperfect for medicine, they were perfect for journalism. Because I had mm. math, English, civic, they had them, they made it do like this neutral subject, math, English, economics. So that was perfect for uh, journalism education, whereas it wasn't perfect for medicine, which is what I was mm. trying for, right? So, yeah, so I stayed with her the one year I wrote the second work that had physics and chemistry. And she would tell me, oh, I don't think you should be here doing this. I think you should be studying, leave all these things, don't listen to your parents, you know. And I think that that's when we started to bond more and more and more and more. And then we just started to talk about like every single thing about like relationships and life. She would take me to like her boyfriends she was dating. I would meet them. She would tell me the story. It was just a lot, a lot, of, a lot of stories. But yeah, we, we just kind of, so she went from being anti root to being like, now my friend, you know, and then we became friends. And you, and you dropped the anti, please. I did drop the anti eventually. Anyway. <laughs> but that would have been weird though if you were still calling yeah. the anti. I'm like, whoa, what is going on here? <laughs> I, I did drop the anti. Not even, I didn't even know when I dropped it, but it just went with the wind. You know, she became, wow. But I still couldn't call her Ruth. I think that's why I started to call her like Ruthie, Rutina, this kind of kind of, because I felt like I was calling her it was disrespectful. It was just kind of like my, yeah. But we, because we, we know we were in church together also for like many of the years before that. So we would, I, I, I was in the choir, she told me to join the choir, I was in the choir, I was, we spent so much time that they live very next to my house. So I would walk, I would literally spend all my days there, honestly. You know, because I would be at home. I think my siblings were in university. So I would just go there. They, and they were the only people that my parents allowed me to talk to on the street. Because my parents felt like I shouldn't talk to everybody on the street because I, I shouldn't. I just should stay away from people. So they were like, I had approved friends of my parents and they were one of them. So I would just be in their house. I would stay there the whole day. I would eat there. I would sleep there. They would take me. I think I have I ever went to their village. I did. Like I was oh, with wow. them, I was I was I was basically there. Like people thought I was their mother's. I just I'm saying I knew everybody. I knew their cousins. I met their uncles and aunties. I still know them to today. Um, yes, yeah, people thought I was the mother's child at some point, which is okay. Wow, yeah, I had no problem with that. Hmm. Wow. So, um, you now decide to do journalism, mm-hmm. and why did you choose Uganda? Lots of people. Okay, I'm I'm just speculating here, but. A lot of people, when they want to leave Nigeria, they don't think of going to Uganda. I think people think of South Africa, Kenya, Egypt, but Uganda, why Uganda? Yeah, so when I went to Uganda, I, I, I wasn't trying to leave Nigeria. There were two different objectives, two, two different, but when I went to Uganda, I was just trying to study journalism. It didn't, it didn't matter where, honestly. I, okay, I, but I, just, just, just hold on. But when you were in Nigeria, making the decision that you don't want to study journalism, Uganda was on, on the map, was it? No. It, oh, it okay. It didn't start out with Uganda. I, I didn't think about Uganda. It happened very randomly, honestly. So what, what I did was, when I when I wrote my, the third 
I think neck or whatever it was when someone refused to put my because it was so you know like I, I had at this point it sounds a lot easier now but you know I had gone three years out of high school I felt like I was being pushed in different directions I felt like I was the last exam I wrote I had like people who were my junior by like two years with me because mm-hmm. I've been two years out I was like, this this makes no sense. Like, what am I? And, and then someone says they didn't register my biology. I, I, even I knew there was something now wrong. Not like with me, but I knew like I was trying something that was, that was not going to work, right? Because it just didn't make sense. Like, there was no reason why I I had never seen things in my life kind of be that hard. And I guess it was the first time I learned in my life, and I still kind of practice it each day. Like, kind of like what's for me is going to be for me. I don't really force and push for things. Like the pushing I do is in my effort, but 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 in terms of pushing factors outside of me, I can't control that factor, right? So I, I push. I will stay up late, I will read, I'll study for the exam, I will apply, I will do everything I'm meant to do. But if it doesn't work out, I'm not gonna, like, I don't usually have to pull strings for things to work out in my favor or call mm. on so and so. It just works out because it's meant to work out. Yeah. So it's a practical yeah. But like, I, I kind of learned it because I was like, this makes no sense. Like my parents should do everything. They're going to get me into medical school. They spoke to, you know, these people who tell you, oh, don't worry, once his name, because I, I wrote jam, I wrote, I passed all of these things very well. Once his name is out, I'll put him. And then you have person and they're like, oh, we don't know if we'll accept the two results or the result is not yet. There were so many years that just blended into each other, right? So, uh, so at some point I left and I told my parents, you know what, I'm not doing this thing. Because I, like, I'm not writing jam. I just, I just want to study. I didn't even say journalism. I said I want to study, I think, English language. That's kind of where I started from. Oh, Lord. Tell that to a Nigerian parent. Jesus Christ. Yeah. So I think almost, of, almost like the outcast now. Instead of English language, and that's because I, I I wanted to get like a master's in finance in creative writing later. So I was like, oh, and I had seen people who start out with English because that was the only thing in Nigeria we didn't have we had English and creative writing, I think, or English and literary studies, English and literary studies. That's what we had in our, most of our schools. Mm-hmm. And that's what I wanted to do. Um, but then in so in those two years, I was like, I'm I'm not going to write jam. Just leave me alone. I'm going to be at home. So this was 20, 2016, I believe, was when I was like. I'm just people are pushing me, and they just left me. I, I think they were like, "He will just figure out his life." They left me. They were talking many many things. You go to America, maybe maybe you're supposed to go to America. They were just saying many many things, right? And so I decided to. So I started freelancing once again. Uh, you know when someone someone bought the mid, midnight candle, that was essentially like I was just I was writing. I started to write on Facebook. I think that I was when because like if if, if if you go to my Facebook now, I don't talk anymore. But kind of like twenty. 15, 16, 17, 18 was like, I'll write a lot of Facebook posts. People started following my writing. I'll have a lot of likes, like a thousand, five hundred people were really shit. People would like my writing. And I don't, I don't think many people realized how young I was. I was very young. I was just telling people things that I was talking to other people about how they should be. <laughs> but I was young. And I started writing from Facebook. I started writing for Bella Ninja. No, why Ninja? Then, but I don't know if you know this, like blogs. Why Ninja? I know, then, I know Bella Ninja, but I don't know why Ninja. So I was like 17 years old. I had a call from Bella Ninja that I would do every month, I think. Oh, wow. Yeah, and then there was the time I wrote, I wrote about some of the things I, I read now. I was honestly writing nonsense, and in hindsight, but some of them are really good advice. But some of them were like my limited perspective on life. So I would write some things, and people would insult me, and I'm like, "You know yourself, no young boy." I wouldn't say that, but I was really like, "If you knew who I was, you wouldn't expand your energy." So I'm just really too young for this whole activity in, in, in essence. So yeah, so I maintained my building and column probably to like 2018. January, that was, that was when I started. But yeah, but I was writing every so people started to know me. I would start to be like, well, like I read the articles on Bella Ninja, I like them. Because I was bringing something I think that was fresh that they didn't have. I was bringing a very, I was writing very creatively, whereas most of the pieces are just like blog style. So I'd write very beautifully and creatively. And so and then from there, I applied for someone who told me, someone who knew me from church. So I know I had changed churches by this time. Yes. I said to go to a different church. And then someone who knew me in church told me, oh, you, you may want to apply for this job. 
and then I was also very active in church at this time. So I was like, my church was, they would do a lot of stage plays. So I was in the drama group, but I was, I was in the script writing unit of the drama group. Mm-hmm. So I started making new friends. I was really enjoying it. I just felt like I was, you know, like when you, I, nobody was giving me money, by the way, not, not a single Naira, not Brian Langer, not anybody. And I loved them. They're great. They really, I think they really, and even till now, like when I have something to publish and I tell them what I actually want to, even when I did the campaign for Roots Debt, because I, like I did a campaign on, Treat first, ask questions later. And they were the very first people who said, "It was called what? It was called treat first, questions later. Like treat first, ask questions later." Oh, say, which which makes sense because they yeah. were she was being denied twice. Yeah, and we're basically getting similar stories. Not just hers. There are many stories about it because there's it's a whole history of how Nigeria used to have an act called the um there was another there was a that I can't remember. But then in, in 2017 it was renamed the compulsory treatment for victims of gunshot and accident act because previously they would tell you if someone has a gunshot or accident or wounds that resemble you you shouldn't treat them without a police report so it was actually in our law before wow it was removed either in 2017 or 2015 one of those two most likely 2017 but you see many people are aware of the law but they're not aware that it was changed right and many people have seen i was i was about to say it was changed two years before ruthie died Mm -hmm. and many people have seen the implementation of the law that they're so scared of what would happen but you know because i had i had like i got doctors and i was like what's going on like i got doctors i got police people we had a panel in lagos we, it was a whole campaign right we went on radio we i put her sister went on tv and then at the same time we're doing like online with like bella nigeria and like other people when i i think who also came on board and so we had like this whole media campaign because i was shortly after that i found the facebook friend post that his sister died the one i was talking about the, the same issue and there was another girl in nigeria who was stabbed she was called. Oh. There was a girl who was stabbed, and then taken, and then same thing all, all around the same person. I was like, "This is not okay. This makes no sense." And I was like, "So where's the disconnect? You know, is it the police? Is it the doctor? What's happening?" And so I thought I would bring everybody together, and they would all discuss, and they would tell me what's happening entirely. And we also just were sharing. So I had many people tell me stories that, that were published in the line of people who had a similar experience, right? Mm-hmm. So there many people who were saying this happened to my father, happened to my brother. So but I had them write the stories, and then we would publish them. So that was essentially the, the campaign. But the Bell and Jar was saying just like they were the very first people who came on board, right? So, but I was, I was going to say, like, when I was writing, no, nobody was paying me money, which makes sense because like running a business is hard, media business, right? So I get it now. I pay people because I have a grant, right? But um, yeah, so no one was paying me. I was just writing happily. Then I someone told me, Oh, you should apply for this job. I applied for the job, and then I got my very first job. But it was like a it was it was it was a new publication that was that was going to start, but it was meant to be like a What's it called? It's going to be like an online magazine for like it was called First Culture, I believe. And it was it was so going to be like this magazine was now in Nigeria or in Uganda. I'm still in Nigeria by this time. I'm still writing on Facebook. Haven't even talked yeah. about going to Uganda yet. But then I get this job because before now I'm not, I was mostly doing like creative writing. I wasn't. I didn't know what journalism was. But I get this job where I'm meant to be like an editor, like a content something for the whole platform right and just me and i was being paid like maybe i can't remember how much but it was like maybe forty five thousand naira. jeez this maybe, is 2018 this is 20 no 2016 right i oh, okay. um yeah 2018 is when i go to you guys 2016 how old am i i was like 18 it was my first job so it was it wasn't bad for like a first job in nigeria honestly people were earning a lot less after 15 to 10 years so yeah so it was just so interesting to me so i was like oh so I was writing exercise and then I started to sort of like think of like what my role was called and I found that I was called an editor and that means 
editors or journalists. So that's what I said again, the idea of like becoming a journalist. Before I wanted to be a writer. And so I said, oh, I actually want to study journalism. So what I did in, in those two years that I was at home was I would always, I emailed basically every single school around the world because I knew two things. One, I couldn't afford to go to school on my own. Um, to go to like school on my own without my parents' support. Two, I knew they wouldn't support me. Those are two other things that I knew for a fact. So I was like, okay, I'll just find a way to go myself. So I kind of went around looking, 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 looking. And like none of these things worked out. Um, I emailed every single school in the world. Greece, I'm sure they were, they were wondering who this young seven or 18 year old email is, right? And then wow. I somehow, there was somebody who used to read my column on Bell Ninja, and then he reached out to me. And then he says, oh, like I really, he emailed me. He was a filmmaker from Uganda who was reading my column. And he's like, oh, like I really like the, the articles you write. Yeah, the, Out yeah, of the blue. Yeah. Because it was it had such a wide readership. I mean, it still does. People read it all over the world. People know it everywhere, honestly. Um, but he was like, I like articles, I like them, I like how you express. So he became my friend, like we became like pen pals, you know. So we'd always talk mm-hmm. talk, would would message, email, and then I was like, Oh, you should come to Uganda, right? And I always wanted to, wanted to go to Uganda before then, because they had this festival they would do called Writivism. It's a literary festival, like writing and activism. Okay. And we would have Nigerians who would go. But then this year he was talking, my, some of my friends were going. So I was like, oh, that's, that's really great. Like my friends are coming to Uganda, so I should, I should also come with them. And then he sends me a ticket, right? I was like, even better. He sends you a ticket? Mm-hmm. What, what do you mean he sends you a ticket? He bought you a plane ticket? That's exactly what I mean. Yes. <laughs> in, in, okay. In 2017, um, I don't remember, 2017, yes. Um, I, can't, I can't remember. I can't, if I'm 24 now, how old was I? I can't, I forget how to remember. So if you're 24 now in 2017, you were uh, 17 years old. Yes. No, 19 years old. Sorry, 19, 19. 19 plus because because 2017 plus five is 22. So 24 minus five is 19. Well, in 2022, I thought we were in 2024 for like two seconds. So, oh my God, Caleb! <laughs> seriously? Okay, continue. <laughs> I was gonna say I was 17 for sure, but yeah. So I I I went at. In this age, 19, right? And I'm, I'm going to this new country. My friends were going. He sends me a ticket. He's like, oh, you should just, you should just come. Um, I think I pay for I pay for a hotel, something like that. And then I'm not, now I, that's, what, that's what I could afford to pay anyway. And then I just went, right? And so, but shortly before I went, my life has, just been, my life has had a lot of like, interesting tones. Shortly before I went, I found out that I had a Ugandan uncle, right? So, yeah. It's a bit of a complex what do you mean Ugandan uncle? I mean, both of your parents are Nigerians. Yes. So both of my parents are Nigerians. Both of my, my entire family, I mean, the name Okereke is, is a Nigerian name. So, but we'll go back. It's a, ver- it's, it's a very Igbo name too. <laughs> we'll, we'll go back a bit to what year would this be? Probably like the 1980s maybe. So that's when this happens. Or L, I, I'm too bad at math, but probably in 1980. My 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 father's father was also a your, journalist. Your your grandfather. Yes, the one who I went to okay. see, who who died. Oh, okay. He also yeah, died yeah, shortly yeah. after his wife died. I don't know if I said that, but he died shortly after his wife died. So huh. the, last, the last time I saw him was that time when I went, and I never saw him again because he died. Hmm. Um, yeah. So he, I went to see him, and then, no, I was no 19. 90, I don't know. He's a, he's, he's a journalist. My grandfather was a journalist for probably most of his life. So since he was like 20 something, so maybe for like 60 years, actively for like 30 years or 40 years. And he was, he worked in NTA. So he was general 
manager for NTA in Nigeria, which is like the Nigerian, which is like the national broadcaster for Nigeria. In case it's like it's like the PBS of America. Yeah. So he was the GM for NTA. He started out on radio actually. So he worked in Radio Nigeria, then went to NTA, and then. In the middle of that, he started like radio Biafra with some people. So during the war, he was also like, oh, an activist. He was very, very, very much so. So he would travel with like Ojuku and like all those people. Like, so he worked with like at Radio Nigeria, he was working with Achebe and Equency. So these are all these because they all worked in, like in the same office, right? And he actually, before he died, he, he always told me like his British, he's like, okay, like I wish I wrote a book because almost all his colleagues there and then and he was such a great writer my grandfather wrote the mm. best letters the best and what i tried to do was i like it was a time when i went to see him the year before i went the last time i went and he i just like sort of extensively recorded our conversations and i, I still and i still have them so and, and, and like i have them on like cloud so i, I intend to like, at some point actually you know create something from i don't know what it would be it could be, it could be a website it could be a but i think he has many stories that he people need to hear about you know, he tells me so many mm. things that People that will be instrumental for some people. Yeah. So you could probably uh, title it "Conversations with My Grand My Grandpa." Yeah, it could be a small handbook or like a small or like a blog post, or like a series. I don't know, but I do have those recordings saved, which is great because he died. He would never post mm. me again. Um, yeah, so he was working in NTA. He had a, I guess, like some kind of secretary, and then he had like an affair with the secretary. Well, it was just a long story, but <laughs> I thought he had an affair with the secretary. And she was from Uganda, yes. That's what I was trying to say. Oh! So she was a Ugandan woman working in Lagos. Um, so he was working at NTA Lagos. He had an affair with this secretary, had a child. Um, did he know about the child? He did, but nobody did besides him. We all found out. Uh, of course, my father knew before, but like my, my father found out like maybe not too long ago. Like it wasn't, they found out when the child was ready. Because also, as soon as she had the baby, she disappeared. He met mm-hmm. them a few times. Um, and I met when I met my uncle. He told me about how they. He was named he was named Nicholas, right? Which is kind of like the after the Saint Nicholas Hospital because that's where he was born. Oh, St. Nicholas Hospital. Mm-hmm. Ah, small small world. Okay. Yeah. So that's where he was born, and then yeah. So like they 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 went to they left 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 Nigeria, and so like there was communication was kind of like cut off between the two of them, right? So he didn't know where they were. It was the eighties and nineties that we didn't have technology like we do now he didn't know where they were yeah he just thought they had left so he didn't i guess he didn't tell them I, 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 I don't know if he told my grandmother but i know that his, his children didn't know until much later so i guess he, he didn't need to tell anybody but as he grew older he started to want to find the child so he would tell everybody i, I, like, I want to find him like, i want to find him and it took a while but they eventually found each other my uncle would tell you a story of how he was he would always go like when google started he would go and google our son name and see if anything would come up and the story of how they found was Somebody went to Uganda and then told, and then no, somebody was coming to Nigeria and then my own, and then my, my uncle said, I, I have to find my father. I know his name is Okiriki, that's, that's what I know. He gave him his name and then the person went, because the person- He, 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 carry, he carried the Okiriki name while he was living in Uganda. Interestingly, yes. So all his, all my, all his children are, bear that son name. He has the name till now. Oh, wow. And his children are half, because he married, my aunt is Congolese, so his children are half French, half Nigerian. Congolese, sorry, I'm not French. Um, yeah, so but they still answer okay. So yeah, so he found the person came to Nigeria. Found, found my, the person somehow knew my grandfather. He didn't know him, but he knew that he could, he could find somebody who worked at NTA. At some, he knew he was a broadcaster because my uncle's mother also died when he was younger. The wife, the not the wife, the sorry. The, the the one that your the secretary of your grandfather. Yes, she had cancer. Okay. 
So she died maybe when he was like 15 or 16 or so. So she couldn't, she couldn't help him very much with the search either. Besides what he knew, mm-hmm. the fact that he worked at NT and kind of like the basic information. But yeah, so when I was going to Uganda, um, I was now, I was also going to meet him and his family as well. There was that layer of, because he recently just reconnected. So I think I was the first to meet him. Or, okay. Yeah, I know I met, I met him before my father, but I wasn't sure. I'm not sure if my father's brothers had met him before. But I was one of the first people to meet him in the family, right? So hmm. when I was going to Uganda, this time it was also to meet him and his family as well. Oh, well, that was like the icing on the cake. I was going to get to meet hmm. them. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. So we are going to pre- press pause and then we're going to take our second break here. And then we'll be back with Caleb to tell us how Uganda unfolded with Anokereke in Uganda. Very interesting name in Uganda. I'm, I'm sure you must have had a lot of people look at him like, are you sure you're Ugandan? all right we'll be back see you shortly while taking this uh water break and enjoying the music which is by the way my favorite genre jazz hence why it's the signature tune for the show wanted to remind you about uh, a weekly newsletter that uh, i produce every week titled three nuggets weekly where i share with you the audience three things that i found interesting valuable that might add value to your life uh, during the previous week uh, like the, the newsletter that came out last week I shared with the audience a website called blast.com that I had found in my discovery where you can find as many book summaries as you want uh, out there it's uh, done by a guy called Richard Blast and he reads about 67 books a month. That is a lot of books. So I, I shared with the subscribers uh, to Three Nuggets Weekly about that website. I also shared a Bible verse that uh, spoke to me. And that section actually of the weekly newsletter is done with myself and an individual by the name of Annie Sonny. I'm going to keep Annie Sonny as a secret for now. Hopefully, one day, Anisoni decides to reveal himself or herself to the audience. But yes, that's Three Nuggets Weekly. I hope you would uh, subscribe to it. You can go to my website, www.uiukpong.com. And right there on the homepage, it would ask you if you want to subscribe to Three Nuggets Weekly. And you can insert your email address and you would receive it every week in your inbox. Something nice, tasty, toasty whatever the word is with tea. So we're back with Caleb and uh, Caleb has been sharing his journey with us and who would have ever thought that he would have, have an uncle in a, in a country that he had never visited before, but I guess it was prescient that uh, you would have such a segue into, into a new region, a new country. So now you're in, you are in Uganda, you have connected with your uncle. If I may ask, what should we call your uncle? Uh, Nicholas. <laughs> Nicholas. Okay. So you're now connected with Uncle Nicholas. How, how would you say it was a, a very, it was the best thing to happen to you because without Nicholas, maybe you would have had a different experience of Uganda. Um, yes. So the funny thing was when I, when I came to Uganda, he was not around. That was the status part of it. So he, 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 he was, because my uncle works for like a, at least the last time you like a 
I don't know what they're called, but they, I just know they go around to translating Bibles into like different languages. That's what I know. So they translate the Bible into multiple languages. So I knew, I know he was, but I found out he, he, he was about, he was supposed to be back, but then he didn't come back. He, he had gone to like, like Australia to sort of um, do a, what do they call it? Like he had, he had gone to Australia to translate into a language that I, I'm not sure which one. Um, so I would only get to actually meet him physically, like maybe a few months after that, when I went in June. Right. After hold a second, hold a second. You went to Uganda with the with the notion that you're going to meet Mr. Uncle Nicholas. Uh with the possibility, yes. It, it happened very with, with fast. the possibility. Okay, with the possibility. The, okay. The, All right. The ticket was sent. I was like, oh uncle, I'm coming. He's like, oh, I, I'm not around, but I might be back before that day. And then he didn't come back. And then instead I, I met his family. So I, I met his wife, I met his children. Okay, okay. And then he was just calling me every single day when I was there for like hours and night, just because he was he was not around. So your first time to Uganda was because of the right rightivism festival. Yes. yes. And after that, that is when you now said, you know, I would like to come back here and further my education. Yes, kind of. So I, I while attending the festival, I Uncle Nicholas had a Uncle Nicholas's mother had a friend before she died who's who was Nigerian as, as well, I think. And then who had a it's a long connection. Uncle Nicholas, just for his story. Uncle Nicholas's mother had a friend who had a niece, right? So his mother's friend's niece was studying in Uganda at the time, but they were Nigerians. So she was called, we had the same name. She was called Tutuchuku, like my middle name, Sumtuchuku. So I think she was called Tutuchuku. Oh, hold, then, a, hold a second. Hold a second. Sumtos are Igbos. Yes. Okay. I didn't know that. No way. I, thought, <laughs> I don't know. I swear to God. You know what? You know what? You know why this is surprising to me? There was a guy who was um if you if you're listening to this conversation here from FGC Kodepene, which is where I went to, which is where I went to secondary school. There was a guy called Somto, and he was so smart. And I've always been asking myself, where is Somto? Where is this tribe from? I never knew Somtos were Igbos. Well, yeah, it's a very popular evil name with that. I don't even like No it. way. I never knew. <laughs> you know, if he, if he had said, if he had written his name as Somto Chuku, and I would have known his evil. But yeah. he just said Somto. So I thought Somto, I actually thought Somtos were like from people from River State. Well, that's so interesting. I, I didn't know people. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know. You probably think it to yourself like, whoa, what's happened to this guy? <laughs> never, I, I never knew that Somto were evil people. Sorry. That's interesting. Okay. Continue, yeah. That's that's funny. So, but she, she was called <laughs> and so they were like, "Oh, we think you you meant to come to Uganda because I, I think because she, she was about to go. She actually just finished. She was graduating around there. So they were like, "Oh, as our Tuchuku is leaving, I think God is sending us another Tuchuku, which is what I said because my uncle is a pastor, so they would always like pay everything like to God, which is not bad. Just saying. Um, so they were like, "Yeah, God is sending us like another Tuchuku." I was like, "Oh, sounds good." Then they were like, you should come study here. So his wife was like, you should study here. You know, I, I told them like basically everything I've told you now up until now, like how, you know, like, like my parents were stressing me and I didn't feel like I was, yeah. So anyway, I got, so I had the, like I had the, what's it called? So Toshiku, the, the other Toshiku took me around, told me, could you come to my school? We have a nice journalism program. Took me to another school and she was like, oh, this is another one that you might like that we passed by. So my actual school, we, we just passed by it on the way there, actually. We didn't go there. My actual school that I eventually went to, and I was like, oh, like, I like that school. I like the name. It was called Cavendish. I was like, oh, that's a cool name. It was, so called, I went, it was called what? It was called Cavendish, right? Cavendish. Oh, I've heard about that school. I, I knew like a Cavendish college in like London or something, which it was, it was a, so I, I kind of felt like, well, like, the, like it was a good, because it was the same one. So the, when the London one closed, they opened Uganda and I think 
Zambia also. So we had oh. like, yeah. So I was like, well, anyway, so I, I, like I went to the website, I checked it out. I was like, oh, this is like a good school. And they had a nice program. And it was also more cheap, cheaper than my other school, than the other one to Chukosta didn't go to, right? So I was like, oh, sounds mm-hmm. good. And it was a bit, it was something I could potentially afford if I was going to come do it alone. Because I had my, remember my, my pen pal friend who told me, oh, you can come, you can stay with me. You, you, you just have to pay your tuition. And it was actually him who went ahead and then went to like apply for this to the school for me. I sent him my result. He went to apply. He got me the admission. January 2018, I was admitted to study journalism in Cavendish University. I went there August 2017. And then I went back to Nigeria. And then like all of that thing happened in like those few months. January, I was I was admitted. Um, actually came back like September. I went late August, came back in September. So it took like four my four months-ish. It just felt right. And I didn't tell my parents until I was admitted. And then I told my uncle to tell them. Or I told them that I told my uncle to call them and, and convince them. And they were like, no, why are you going to Uganda? You can't, no, we don't know anybody. I'm like, we know my uncle. Because that was the extra, like, we know Uncle Nicholas. He's right there. They're like, no, still, what are you going to do there? There's no point. Um, they just vehemently said, no, 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 no. I was like, oh, okay. So I, I couldn't go in January. But then by like May, and so I had to defer my admission to May. Um, mm-hmm. They had a May intake. So I deferred my admission. And then by, by like May, I think they were, they were starting to get like more. more I think what, the I, idea. what I learned, yes, is, is my parents do well with a lot of. I, I didn't know it then, but now I just inform them that I just kind of ease them into it. I just say it every single day. So kind of like the repetition helps a lot with when they hear the Van it makes sense to them in their head. At first they're like, what the hell are you say? And then when you say it, before I would think like their first reaction was the final one, but it's not. I've learned on so many occasions now that you just kind of like, and then you just kind of, you, you just, I can't tell you there was a day they said yes or they said no. I can't remember the time they said no in January, but I can't tell you there was a time they actually said yes. I just know. Next thing I knew, I was buying a ticket. When I said it over and over again, everybody started to get, everybody thought I was joking, but everybody then got, even my siblings are like, okay, he's studying journalism, okay. But I think at that point, they were also, they felt like maybe that's what he's meant to do. They were very locked up, honestly, you know. But I was surprised that they actually paid my school fees. I didn't expect them to. And I was okay with being that rebellious child who would go away, you know, and just do my own thing. And they bought me a flight ticket. I was like, oh, thank you. Um, and then I went to Uganda. And I, so it began. Are you the... Are you the last child in your family? Yes, I'm the last child in my family. I just know you're saying thank you. <laughs> I, I, God knows I didn't say anything. <laughs> I just asked the question. That was all. Okay. But, but I, didn't so, really <laughs> I mean, there's something I want to talk, I want to happen here. The, 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 the aspect of putting yourself out there because you never know what's going to come back at you. If you weren't writing for free and putting it and posting it for free, because you could have easily said, if I'm going to put anything out there, you got to pay me. I don't care if it's one naira or two naira, but you were putting this content out for free. A guy in Uganda gets to read it and likes your work, reaches out to you and says, which if a way he was kind of your conduit to journalism, let's be honest. He, he, he basically got your ticket to, to come and experience the festival of writing. And then he also said, if you decide to come and school here, just take care of your tuition. Don't worry about rooming and broom and board, which again is still aiding your journalistic career. So, I mean, it's crazy. I think for me, that's a lesson that I've learned from this particular aspect of your uh, section of your life by following your passion, doing it for free for a while because you just never know when that check would, 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 would be cashed at the bank. 
I agree. And I think it's a, I think people sometimes conflate like, oh, don't, don't work for free. I mean, don't ever work for free. And I, and I don't think that's true. I think there are instances in which you have to work for free. And I'm very fine with it, honestly. It's just like, what am, what am I working for free on? Right. So there, there are certain things that I, I still do too now that I'm like, oh, always pay me. There's certain projects that I still do for free. Like there are things that I've done for free in the last year or even this year, right? That I wouldn't, that, that might, might not make sense. Or that, but I'm like, I like I know I'm doing it for free, right? And again, they're like, it's it's always, I wouldn't do like, if you don't write, I can't write for free. But it depends on who is asking and for what purpose. Yeah. So if you told me, let's do a, a certain kind of project, you know, I, there are projects that I've done, like, like, like the, there's a film that, that I wrote, for like my friend and we essentially wrote like i essentially wrote it for free like i i wanted to get like film writing experience and she was going to make a great film out of my script because she's been my friend for like five years and i trust her work right so mm-hmm. we wrote this very incredible film that's going to come out sometime before the end of the year you know? and it's like a very it's it's when i saw what she did with it i felt very like I, I didn't need to be paid because there was honestly no amount of money they're going to pay me that would compensate for the time of writing a you know like a 90 page script right you can't pay I mean, for- you- you're not gonna say something like that and not. Can I ask? Can you share with us this this uh, project on this show? Of course. Without, um, if, if, if there's any, if there's any intellectual property, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. So it's it's. I mean, it's it's already filmed. It's just now being they, they just they're just in like the distribution stage. So they have a private premiere this month, which I'm not gonna attend because I'm not in Lagos. But it's a it's a so it's called No Man's Land. And I think it's something that everybody should check out. I'm writing, and, I'm writing that down yeah no man's land so in, in one of the years that i was writing on facebook i met i met many people on the internet by the way you know, so most again people, again again for free e- yeah <laughs> oh my god this is crazy okay, no but continue no but like in in not for free person but like i'm, I'm not sure like in terms of even like when we like when we, when we get to like the u.s part of my story like where I'm currently staying in America, I'm staying for free. And I, and I just, and from a person I met on the internet as well, right? Or kind wow. of. So I think a lot of my life has been not internet-based. That sounds bad. But just like I, I've had people be kind to me just from like trust, but like from my work and from trusting my work, which, which I don't take for granted at all. You know? And I also try to extend the same to people. Um, yeah, so I, I met my friend called Blessing like on Facebook. When I used to write on Facebook, she used to read my writings and yeah, and then she thought, oh, let's write a film together. And then we wrote like maybe six or seven scripts that we never shot. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> so in 2020, she was like, but what, what are we doing? So, so 2020, we wrote the one that she now shot, which is called No Man's Land, which I wrote with her. So, so 2020, uh, uh, like I was in Nigeria from December 2020 to like January of last year. And so most of the time I spent with like Blessing, we'll get like different hotels just there and do like writing writing she would be because she was also like making she just makes music videos um even though she's not the one in a, in a year because of the film but she's been doing like videos for like what artists are there in nigeria like chike i know she's done for chike flavor i think or like this kind of some some artists she's done some music videos a lot of and she's very great um and i and i believe in her work so like if she, if she tells me can write me a script i will write it and she doesn't have to pay me because she doesn't have money to pay me right now which is great um but yeah, because like the film cost, I don't know, maybe almost $200,000 or even more. Oh, wow. She had to raise that money. Like I was there when she was, and she didn't raise all of it. She was raised, raised, raised to film, raised to edit, raised, because that's kind of how you raise it, right? Some people have it at a goal, but it's her first film, her first feature film, not her first film. Nice. Um, yeah, so I, like I just believed in her and I was willing to work for free. So that's kind of like what I'm saying. And I think I also wanted the, like the film writing credit because I'd never written a film before. And you know, Nobody else would, would trust me to write a 
$200,000 budget film. Because I don't have a film. But she would, and I would also trust her to make it very well. So it was kind of a mutual, and that's kind of like what I mean by like working for free. Because it now kind of adds to my, because I do want to get into like film writing even more now that I'm in the US. But you kind of have to, I, I, like I wanted to have something to show for it. And that's a great reel to add to your work. So yeah, it, it's about forced evictions in Nigeria. There's been, I don't know, I was, I thought they, had, they happened. I was just actually, I found a study yesterday that I was reading about the slum evictions in like 19 something. But most of the ones that, I, that we talk about in the film were between 20, 2016 till date, right? So they've been, I don't know if you, you heard of the Takwa Bay, like evictions, where they went to this. Takwa Bay, Takwa Bay is where? Lagos, right? Yeah, it's in Lagos. Okay. It's like a okay. waterfront kind of island. Sort of waterfront. Okay. Um, and there are many of those such like waterfront communities in Nigeria, where Maraco, the, uh, Makoko, Makoko. Makoko is, is one of them, um, yeah. Otodobame, which is one of the most violent ones. So they oh, would go and then they would forcefully evict people violently, right? And oftentimes to build like a luxury estate. That's kind of like what the government hmm. is doing. So, yeah, so I, I we, we just started talking about it and, and then we thought, oh, this would be a great thing to make a film from. And then I am blessing. So when, 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 when I was in Nigeria, we went to one of the places they had just demolished Takwa Bay and then we did some interviews spoke to them, and then kind of like made with the story out of it right so that's the story that's now became no man's land hence why it's called no man's land yeah and uh is no man's land a movie or is it a documentary it's a film it's a movie it's a so we, we just it's it's based on real life event but it's extensively fictionalized so the characters are, are not real people they, they don't exist, right? But they're, we kind of borrow from people's story and, and sort of infuse it. Because when you think of over, probably close to a million people have, have been displaced by fossil evictions in Nigeria. And they're and, and they often violent and deadly, right? They actually lead to people being killed, right? No way. Yeah, like they don't, they don't evict you clapping hands. They evict you with guns and like with, I don't know what those are called, bulldozers or whatever. They're not begging you. Like the Takwa Bay one, they said they came and they said they're shooting because they, they, they claim they have government warrants to force you off the land and it's actual military people, not even the police, which would be easier, right? So they come and they shoot, people die, people drown. It's a bit of, a, it's a, it's a, this, that's a crazy. And there's even like an Al Jazeera documentary. It's called, what's it called? The King, either like a King's Return or the Return of the, return of the King, something like that. But it's kind of like, a, if you just check King Otodobame Al Jazeera, you'd see a documentary on a guy who talks about the story more in depthly. Not our field. Yeah. I spelt I spelt Otubadami as O T U N B A D A M I. Is that correct? No, so it's Otodo, like O T O D O. It's two two words, and then Bami, G B A M E. Oh, interesting. It's two words. I have a question for you. Mm -hmm. You you wrote the script for No Man's Land, Mm -hmm. and it's a fictionalized with blessing. Okay, with blessing. And and blessing has you you and you and blessing have been doing you have written six or seven scripts but it's only one of these six or seven scripts that has now become a, a movie. Yes, yeah, so you, uh-huh. okay. No, continue. Yeah, I was just gonna say we, we shot one short film like February last year just because we're trying to rehearse how to shoot this other one. <laughs> so we shot one okay. shot. Thank God. But before right, that, okay. nothing. No. All right. So no man's land was written by you and blessing. Mm-hmm. Both of you have never experienced living in any of these kind of communities before. No, no. So how did you? How did you guys? How were you guys able to get into the into the character? 
that's a great question i think what again for me i'm i'm a you know it was it was very good that i wrote with blessing because blessing like knew what she wanted to film right and so she had a great idea of like how it would look cinematically right and so she would tell me let's do xyz xyz or let's do xyz and then i was just kind of like we're just kind of write that out together so it was great that we had that kind of if not so what usually happens is you write a script you give the director and then they see what works but i think ha- having had to sort of cut or edit or add on to ideas as they came up was very crucial because then it meant that the final product was much more closer but we, we, we wrote that script for all, almost the whole year so you didn't take oh wow it was a very I, I, I left nigeria was still meet virtually up until like a few days before they shot i was still, we're still changing something and we, we always tell ourselves even even if we didn't shoot we'll still be changing something right which would have been um so yes but i think part of being a storyteller is essentially like about what you're saying is adopting realities that are not yours um so we the interviews helped a lot mm-hmm. in terms of like forming the ideas of like the profiles of people who we wanted to, to be in the story but also she, she wanted to tell a story that had so one of the have you seen city of god before yeah <coughs> excuse me city of god brazilian stuff yes very very raunchy um, yes that's kind of how no man's land is. <coughs> oh are you you're telling me no man's land is going to be as similar to city of god it looks exactly the same, honestly. Okay, that's a stretch, but it, it's it, it's it's one of the reference films that Blessing had from the beginning for No Man's Land. She wanted to have a film because we didn't think that we had any film in Nigeria that had children-ish teenagers as the leads. Um, and if there were any, they didn't do it so well. You know, they were just children who didn't know how to act, acting like mad people. But you see, when you look at City of God or films like that, or like um, Beast of No Nation, which was also one of our that's the South African one. The South African, or they were they were they were with the one with Idris Elba. They were, they were in a different country. Oh yes, I know I know what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um. So when you look at it, like you have children playing the lead and they're doing it so well, and young people and teenagers and young boys. So we had like a, it was like a child soldier kind of team. So if you watch No Man's Land, they are young children carrying guns, but they're carrying guns because they have been evicted from their homes. I mean, they're carrying guns before then anyway. But like the kind of like that the story arc is sort of how. Um. These children who love their three brothers who love making music, um, they like to sing. Their their inspiration is Fela. It's this Fela's son, you know Fela Kuti. So the film has Fela's son Shewon Kuti. As, Shewon as, Kuti, the, the real Shewon Kuti. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Shewon Kuti okay. plays one of the lead characters in the film. So he plays oh one of the. He's called Baba, who is like a slum gang leader, right? So Baba has always been a bad guy. But there's these three brothers who become bad people because of what happens to them when they lose their their home, right? So, but they like Fela, they like sing his music. They they essentially musicians, right? Before I think we're not trying to play with the idea of every single time like a slum is demolished. When you look at the language around how it's covered, you hear people say things like "oh, street urchins" or "hoodlums" or you know, or like the government will sort of qualify them in a way that that would that would make you. The reporting always tries to justify the act, you know. Whereas most sometimes the crime, the only crime is the, is being poor. Granted, there they might be armed robbers or thieves everywhere. They armed robbers and thieves, and that's kind of like Baba's character. Even in Lekki, there are thieves in rich men's houses. There are many thieves everywhere, right? So, but every single time the framing the government will give to those slums is that we're trying to rid the community of the people who disturb us. That's kind of like the language you would see around, it. and we're trying to show that. You know, these are actual people who are, like have dreams. They they, they want to sing music. They want, they want to do 
kind of like normal things that we want to do. And it's, it's a lot more complex. The story goes even way deeper than that, but that's kind of the general like idea of it, right? There's three brothers who, it's, it's like a class tussle, right? So you see them start robbing people on the street. They go into the streets, they become agribas on the road. They, it gets very, very complex. As you and can. Their, their confidence gets more and more and now they start to do yes. bigger, bigger kind of crimes. Yes, so they really evolve. And we found, so one of the hardest things to do, of course, was cast these people, you know, so... Script writing took like a whole year, casting probably the same, because we started casting as soon as we had the idea of what the characters were, but we didn't finally get people until like maybe, I say we, because Melissa would always call me and tell me all, like, all the stories. Even, even though I was a writer, I was, I was her friend before I was a writer, so she would always tell me all the stories like make up a film, right? So it's kind of like, it's our, she came up with a title, we, it, started like, it started out as a much different idea, but it started out as a fantasy film where three children transport to a different world, three brothers, it was just all, it just all moved around to become what it finally was. Um, yeah, but we couldn't find three, three actors, you know, and the, the, the boys who finally acted the film were actually from a slum, just not one that had been demolished. Oh, yeah. wow. She just sent so they, they, they were really living, they were really acting out their lives. They were not essentially acting. They were just like, yeah, they were, they, I mean, it's because they, it's how they behave every single day. And they could speak like, like they spoke, because it's, it's, it's very like, very, you, uh, Pidgin and like Yoruba driven films, so it's, you would hear a lot of Pidgin and Yoruba in it. And they were speaking like very authentic Yoruba because they were, they were not acting. That's how they talk every single day, right? And they, she just gave like a, she, because we struggled with casting like children particularly. It was hard to find anybody who, who you could direct that would look real. But when you, I can share the trailer with you, I think. I don't know if it's like, I, 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 I want, I would love to get the trailer. And if you don't mind, could I put the trailer in the show notes for your episode? I don't think we have a, an out yet trailer yet, but I think there's one that's online. I'm sure. I think Blessing posted one. Yes, so I will, I will share the one Blessing posted with you. But there's no. It was like a teaser. It wasn't the trailer actually, because before you shoot the film, you shoot a teaser to raise money for the film. So that's kind of like what happens. It's like a business plan. Yes. So when you're telling people I want to make this film, you're going with the, with a teaser. It's like a short trailer, but you you don't shoot all aspects of the film. So you choose certain parts. And it's also expensive to shoot. If you shoot, if you, like for a film like ours, you had to shoot gunshots in the teaser. So you choose certain parts and then shoot it with like your own little money, and then you can now raise money for the film. That's kind of so. Please let, let me ask a question, man. Please, the shooting scenes and the, the the scene are they your typical Nigerian Nollywood kind of shooting scenes? Please, not at all. I can promise you, not at all. You would be so surprised when you see it, and that's kind of like what I want everybody to be very surprised. It's it's very well done. Which 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 uh, if I may if you are open to sharing, what kind of distribution for the what kind of distribution channels are you guys looking to distribute No Man's Land? Honestly, I I know that there's like there's a lot of like talk for like streaming platforms or cinema. That's just as much as I know, and I I, I don't think anything is like con- concrete yet. Um, but I'm also not the primary. You know, it's not. I'm just a writer and a friend of the director, so I I only have very like based on what. Less- Bless the visionary. She's yeah, the visionary here. She's in front of everything. But I know she'll find a good home for it. And, th- and that's why it's not out yet, right? Because the like it's a very expensive film. The post-production was done in South Africa. The guy who shot it, the the I would I am and I'm already enamored by Blessing. I can't wait to get to research her and find out who she is. I mean, if she meets the three guidelines, I mean I would really love to bring on the show if she meets the three guidelines for sure. I'm sure she will. She will, she's very she's called blessing. There's nothing she can't do. I have very great friends who, who just kind of inspire me. So blessing is one of the people who 
She does it like clearly believes in me. And I actually do believe she can do anything she says she will do, which sounds funny, but I do believe she can do anything she says she will do. So I don't, because I mean, when, when she started making this film, she didn't have 250K or $200,000. No, she just found it somehow. You know, and I just kind of, yeah, she's just very, she kind of has a, some people mistake it for like arrogance, but I just think it's knowing what you want to do. You know? And sometimes, you no, know, like, it's such an industry where people value respect. Nigerians value respect entirely. So they, and sort of they hate arrogance. They hate you feeling like you know what you're saying. They want you to be so humble and always say, oh, I don't know what I'm doing. Show me the way. I don't know. And, and they don't, I, I think so many people don't like blessings. Because I just see it on Twitter. I, I don't, and from like what I see, how people engage on Twitter, whenever she tweets something, it's like someone is trying to say you should have some modesty and stuff like that. Do you mind if I ask Blessing's last name so that I can check her of out? Of course. Sure, she's called Blessing Uzi. So when you check her out, you probably Uzi is U-Z-I. U-Z-Z-I, two Z's, yeah. Two Z's, okay. So Very listen. interesting. I yeah, mean, she... she raised 200K. Congratulations to her, man. She did and, a, uh, That's her first film. That's a lot, honestly. <laughs> Even we both know that's a lot. How do you feel to be a script type, to be a, to write a script that is now about to, about to be, about to be, is already produced, but about to be released to the world. How does it feel? It's exciting, you know, but, you know, at some point, I, I think we, we, we were, it felt more, I think we had fun all over. At some point, you know, it, it feels difficult to complete because just like the story was not adding up, you know, it, was, it wasn't, it's not that easy to make a film that the story adds up, by the way. You think you have the story and, and, and then you see a loophole and you're like, um, but now when I watch it, I, I don't see a loophole, thank God. Um, also, we, should, we, we, had, we had much more than was for the time we had, right, we, the film was going to be too long, so we had to cut certain parts of it out to be able to get into the normal film standard. Uh, yeah, but but I think for me, I, I I just feel it's one of the things that I, I I it's kind of like my it's part of my next five year plan, right? Like I actually want to get into writing like films and you know because um, I do think that I still enjoy storytelling, which is kind of how I started. So I I, I don't want to be confined. Even like I want to make documentaries, and that's kind of like what I'm going to be doing next over the next maybe after I finish masters or even during. But that's like my next goal-ish. It's something I can do alongside minority Africa, so it doesn't have to end. So that's kind of so I, for me, I feel like this this is one huge step in that sort of track of filmmaking. Mm. You know, there's another thing about your story that I wanted to highlight, and you can speak to it and tell me if I'm thinking the way I'm thinking. There was this three years that you were wandering from your parents trying to really typecast you to become this medical doctor. So they were like, you got to take Wayak another, another Neko and that so that we can finally put everything together and package this medical thing. So it was three years and you were writing Wayak with your juniors. But it feels as if those, those three years in hindsight is what is making Caleb who Caleb is today. Is that, is that a correct assessment? Very, very correct. And I, I, I think that's a great quote or that's a great observation because I... I there were so many things I did in those three years that I didn't even need at that time. And that's something I think is also very important for people to know. So things like I learned how to, you know, like make, like the, if you go to Minority Africa, like the website we have, I, I, I made it myself. Um, you so we have that like, website yourself? I wouldn't call it because I'm, I'm, I, I'm not a tech guy, but I used WordPress and I made it myself. Yes. I've always, wow. I've never had a developer. We had a developer for the first time for Minority Africa last year, and then they didn't finish their work and they, they actually didn't do anything. But I, I did I was about to be proud of myself because I built I built the, my own website myself. But no, your website is your website is really nice, by the way. 
and like I built everything myself. So we have that one. We have the fellowship website. We have the new website for our Google project called Advance. I'm the only one up until like July. I was the only one who knew how to post on the website. So I actually made like tutorial videos to my team members to be able to, because I was going to school. I was like, I, I can't always post. So you guys learn how to post. And so I made tutorial videos for them and now they post by themselves. But that happened like in July, because August actually. So I was like, last month, so I was like feeling a bit like people are actually posting without my permission. I was even feeling a bit shit, like emotional in fact. Because I would always have to, I would always post every single thing. Um, yeah, so I, I'm like I made it myself, but then I like I learned that skill in those three years. Once again, I learned how to. I started one biz business that didn't work out very well, but I was it didn't like I started to do like online creative writing workshops, and I forgot about it until recently when I remembered. And even for that one, I made the website. I sort of learned how to like create payment workers. Many things that I learned that I didn't need at the time, you know. But there are skills that I'm kind of now using at Minority. So at Minority Africa, I'm kind of I was a one man show for a long time, and I'm not I'm fine. With, that's why I'm not scared to start anything because I I can start anything that I want to start honestly. Um, and I'm fine with, and I, I and in so many ways it it can be overwhelming. So I'm I'm trying to learn how to like the call I had just before this call was teaching my um kind of like my operations manager how to walk through a new system we're using. So most times even till now, so many things will come from me and then sort of spill through the entire company because I kind of have I know like oh like i want to do this or use xyz or use xyz and then kind of it will spill around right um yeah so the those three years i learned so many random things how to pitch stories how to pitch for grants a little bit of that um and there are skills that i didn't think that i needed i was just kind of learning because i was just doing so many things and i learned how to yeah websites um i just did so many i was everything so i did the, the, like, like accounting it was it was it was crazy, but I think they're very. And I don't think it has stopped, right? Even now, there are things that I learned that I don't immediately need. But when I started Minority Africa, having those skills meant that I could start. On very, I made our logo. I learned how to make logos that time. I made our logo. I made our website. I made everything that I needed. I knew how to run Facebook and social media page. It was just kind of like everything I needed. I had, you know. So I didn't have to look out for any for anything. So it was very easy for me to look very big when I was very small. Wow. Wow. I mean, um, as I'm listening to you talk and listening to your story and trying to extrapolate you 10 to 15 years from now, if I may, pardon me, but not, not to flatter you, I don't look at you as your typical typecast journalist. I think if I were to describe you, I would say entrepreneurial journalist which would be who would become a media mogul because you've got the screen, you've got the script writing. You now have a, a connection into the feature film world. You also have this minority Africa and look at the kind of companies that are, are funding you. Then you also have this ambition of documentary film. So it's as if there's silos and then all of a sudden you're gonna create this company that is gonna now be looking after all the silos. And then it's gonna get to a point that with your journalistic side of you, which you understand how the game works and your entrepreneurial side of it now, it's just hiring the right people to be managing the silos and you just continue to feed your creativity. That sounds perfect when you say it. I just wish it would happen like that the way I've said it, but it sounds, it sounds perfect. It sounds doable when you say it like that. Yeah, that's, that's what I'm saying. That's, that's, that's what I'm saying because, because for me, I'm truly a big proponent of when you wonder, 
don't stop wondering because in your wondering, your purpose would come. Mm -hmm. So in your three years of wondering, you're actually now in your purpose. But who would have said if you had passed Wyatt the first time with all those grades you needed for medical school, you yourself would be like, you know what? Let these people get off my back, man. I'm getting to the medical school kind of thingy. But when everything was not aligning, that was where you were picking up all the skills. And today, at you, by the way, I didn't know you were 24. I actually thought you were 29. I'm just gonna be. I'm just being honest with you. Um, because 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 of where I met you. You know where I met you. The person mm -hmm. I met you with is in her 30s. So uh, I was yeah yeah. So I would think that she'll be hanging around people that are close to her in age, right? Because I'm. I, I, I was the oldest person in that place. I was in my fourth floor. <laughs> so, so there you go. But, yeah. but in your wondering, your wondering has created this thing. So it's kind of very interesting. And uh, man, kudos to you, man. This is amazing. Thank you. Yeah, fantastic. Uh, do, do, you, do you agree with me or do you agree with my, my thinking? It's, it's, it's doable. I, I am not so much of an entrepreneur. I, I, I guess I am. But I, I didn't start out wanting to be one. That's the interesting part. So I just wanted to be a journalist. Um, and then I was like, oh, I'm going to start a company. And then I was like, oh, my God, I don't know what to do with a company. You know, so I don't, I think I, I enjoy being, I don't know if I enjoy the entrepreneurial part of it. You know, I enjoy being a founder, maybe. But like, I enjoy like leading a team to do something that I think is great. But the mechanics of it, like having, you know, people think it's just publishing story, but there's many things that we have to do beside the background from legal to accounting, all the things are so stressful, especially, especially for a company like ours that is doing something you consider sensitive, like on the continent, it's so, so stressful for me every single day. And so every single day is about like sort of cementing our presence in, and we, there's not a single day that we're not scared of, or oh, it's today the day that we get closed down. You know? So those are actual fears that we have every single day, you know, but I don't know if I really enjoy that part of it, but I don't, I say that I use people who say, oh, like, I don't, like, I'm, I might not enjoy it, but I don't know if I would decide if I wasn't doing it, you know, so they might, I might actually do enjoy it, but I don't know that I enjoy it. Um, so, yeah, so I think I would love to do it how you're studying. I just don't know if I have the strength for those many things I have to jump, but I guess you never know until you're in it. Sometimes I'm you never know. Man, Kelly, you're only 24 years old, man. <laughs> I mean, look no. at all the things you've done so far. So you'll be very shocked. I mean, in another five years, I can circle back with you and you're like, man, you are, man. Look at what I've created. I'm like, uh-huh. You still yeah. and you, and you still and you, st and you still have energy and time on your side, man. Mm -hmm. Hopefully. We'll, we'll see how it pans out. Yeah. So I am very appreciative of you coming on the show. I think we're going to press pause here. And this is part one. Mm -hmm. And uh, I can't wait to record with you for part two. And then where will you take us from Uganda and how Google came in the picture and how minority Africa started to grow and all the organizations that you've collaborated with. And then why did you decide to do a master's when all this is going so well for you? And, uh, and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, because, I mean, master's seems too conservative, but who knows? I mean, it's, all, it's all probably also part of the whole story. So um, for the audience, Caleb and I would be having a part two of the conversation. So let me pretend to be a script writer here that I, I had planned in, in, in ahead that this was the way the script was going to, to come to a pause. So Caleb, Thank you very much. We are going to come back and continue part two and uh, basically release it again to the world.
Thank you so much, UI. Look forward. No problem. Thanks, man. Well, there we go. Another episode of uh, the show has come to an end. I hope you enjoyed the conversation with the guest and uh, learned something from it and a particular part of uh, his or her story inspired you to make that move, whatever that move could be for you. Uh, with that being said, please subscribe to the show. Uh, you can also leave a review. The review really helps the show to grow and gets uh, in the ears of other people. Um, also share with a friend, someone that you know in your network that you believe this episode, they need to hear this. Uh, you can share it with that individual. Uh, whatever podcast directory you use, uh, look for the share option and uh, share it to that person. Lastly, don't forget to go on the website www.uiukpong.com to subscribe to Three Nuggets Weekly where I share three things that I found interesting the previous week and uh, think may add value to your life. With that being said, I'm wishing you a great week and I will uh, come back to your ears next week. Have a good one now and do something crazy. Bye for now.